Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. You know, if you're the boss right now, your world is probably somewhat different than it was maybe three or four months ago. And if you have a team, there's a good chance that team could be virtual. Maybe you're in a situation where you still are working. Maybe you're an essential worker. Maybe the nature of your business allows you to be around your people. But either way, one thing has not changed, and that is your responsibility to sometimes have difficult conversations. That's something that most of us don't get any training to do, and if you don't know what you're doing, there's a good chance you won't do it. Well, today, all the excuses go away because our guest, Deb Cohen, is going to talk to us about difficult conversations. She says it's a skill that we have to master. We go through why that is so difficult to do. We talk about strategies for it. Bottom line is when you're done listening to this, you will have at least a little bit more knowledge and hopefully some competence to take care of this very important task. So why don't we just go ahead and get after it? You know what to do. Buckle up. It's time to ride. Welcome to the Boss Builder Podcast. Deb Cohen, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here too. In this time of pandemic and time of people being, many of them stuck at home, is it possible that difficult conversations are easier to have? What do you think? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I I think in in some ways it could be easier, but in some ways a little bit more difficult. Uh, It really depends on the circumstance. You know, difficult conversations are things that people tend to avoid. And if you're remote, it's maybe a little bit easier to to avoid. Um, Doesn't mean it's any less important to do, though. Yeah, I think that's one of those critical management skills that managers, when all else fails, they'll want to do it. But until then, they'll let it go. So, Deb, this is an this is a topic I know that's very important to you. Before we start diving into how we get these conversations done better, Tell us about your background. What got you interested in this whole idea of difficult conversations? Well, that's uh, that's boy, that's an interesting question as well. So I, I started my career as a uh, manager trainee in a bank many, many, many moons ago, and it was interesting. I I had a lot of difficult conversations both with staff members uh, who were reporting to me as well as uh, conversations upward. And then I spent a long time in graduate school. I got a master's degree in human resources, labor and human resources, and a PhD in management and human resources. And I taught. I was a professor for about 15 years. And talk about difficult conversations. Try to have one of those with a student who is unhappy because they got a C in your class and it's going to prevent them from going to law school. (laughs) So that's the first difficult conversation I had in in, uh, uh, the university setting. And then I spent a long time uh, as an executive at at SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. And I had a team of about 50 people. And I'll tell you, you have some great conversations, but in any organization, you have difficult conversations with people who aren't happy with what they're doing or you're not happy with what they're doing. So I've had a lot of personal experience with it. And as a researcher, as somebody who's done a lot of writing and research, I find it fascinating to think about you know, how are people having these conversations in an effective way versus an ineffective way? And my passion is around helping people learn and become more effective with what they do. Well, you said you did research. So what does research say? I bet it says difficult conversations are tough. 
<laughs> well, it does. Uh, but it also says that um, you know, the majority of us, more than 60%, really feel that you feel stressed, you feel anxious when we know we have a difficult conversation coming up. Uh, a lot of us, again, a majority over 55% or so, would rather do anything they can to avoid a, a difficult conversation. In fact, more than half of us prefer to uh, put up with really bad behavior than to actually deal with a conversation. And, and one study actually showed that, um, again, the majority of us um, said they, they even had difficulty just in communicating in general. So, so the research says we avoid. And it also says that, quite frankly, the, the less we avoid, the more we deal with issues head on, the quicker they're resolved and the, the better things are for all parties concerned. Yeah, it seems like those type of conversations are the ones you just dread, right? You, right. you know you have to do it and you're, you're praying for a tornado to come through and destroy your house so you have an excuse not to go into work and have that conversation. Sure. What are, what are some of the factors that lead us to have these feelings about a difficult conversation? Well, first, I, I would say it's we're human. And anytime we feel vulnerable or maybe our self-esteem is implicated, when an issue is extremely important, when you know, the outcomes are uncertain, um, you know, we, we feel this stress, especially if we're deeply concerned about the issue. And you know, here's the reality in terms of some of these factors. Um, we all have different information about the same event, about the, say, the decision, the issue, you have the, the supervisor's perception, you've got the employee's perception, you might have an outsider's perception, and we all have different interpretations about these same events, and that's part of the challenge. And part of the reason why we have this is because I think we all have different life experiences um, that shape the, the lens that we look at these things through. We, we have to think about some of those very specific factors, though. First of all, we avoided the issue too long. Um, we might even avoid the person. And again, as you mentioned, in this sort of day of uh, remote work, it's easier to avoid the person, perhaps. Um, sometimes we assume that we're right. That's another factor. And, and finally, we also think sometimes that we have um, good intentions. And while your intention might be, uh, I want things to be better, the uh, person that you're dealing with might think, you know, you're just out to get me as opposed to you have good intentions. So, so those are some of the factors that I think create this dynamic of difficult conversations. Does it, I mean, it seems like the way you said it, that managers might have a narrative in their head of how this is going to go down and maybe they're picking the worst possible scenario that could come up and assume that's going to happen. And because of that, not have the conversation. Do you think that could actually bring about the, the bad situation they had predicted in their mind all along by avoiding it? Oh, Absolutely. 100%. Uh, you know, here's the reality. Workplace conflict is inevitable. Difficult conversations um, are inevitable. If you are in any, even if, even in the best work scenarios, even with the best and strongest supervisors, conflict and difficult conversations are going to happen. And, and how they happen is really a function of your own behavior and your own attitude. And if you assume that a conversation is going to be difficult and you avoid the, the person or you avoid the conversation, you are creating a, a scenario where things can fester. And one of the things that you need to think about is, uh, you know, how am I being perceived? Am I being perceived as not caring when in fact you really do care? Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I just keep thinking back when I was a kid, when I get punished and my dad would say, I'm doing this for your own good. <laughs> no, you're really not. This is not good at all. 
But I think that's the mindset, at least that I grew up, because, you know, maybe I should go to one of your workshops. Having a difficult conversation for me is the hardest thing in the world. I had to have one at the end of our last year. And I looked for every possible excuse not to have it. And I didn't want to chicken out and use email. Mm-hmm. But God, it was really, really difficult. Am I unusual or are, are more people like that, do you think? No, I think most people are like that, to be honest with you. And and those that are really you know confident and jump right into those difficult conversations, I think a challenge with them is that perhaps they jump in without really thinking. And this is a little bit like the concept of sort of fight or flight. If you're walking across the street and a car is coming and they don't see the, the red light, you get this, uh, you're scared on the inside and you want to just run across the street. And this fight or flight concept happens to all of us. And it's the same thing with these difficult conversations. You know, you and I are both pretty practiced at uh, doing training and speaking in front of groups. Uh, But it's frankly good for us to get a little bit nervous before we get in front of a new audience, because that keeps us on our toes. And it's the same thing, I think, with difficult conversations is, again, the most practiced people can get nervous and should get nervous because it makes you plan. It makes you be more prepared and think through what's the best thing for me to say and maybe what's the worst thing for me to say. Yeah, I think or like, you know, should I say anything at all? I guess the answer is you better address it. What are some of the most common conversations that managers chalk up as the ones they don't want to have, at least from where you see it? Sure. Uh, Certainly, I think common ones are things that include concerns about performance and attitude. Um, They they can include, um, you know, confronting somebody in the moment. If you've got a performance issue, you might talk about that with a person at their annual review. Well, you've heard the saying, you should never be surprised at anything in your annual review. That means you need to confront someone in the moment. Uh, Those things are are difficult. When you see something, a person's poor behavior or a bad interaction, holding somebody accountable for not following through, that's another big issue. Addressing things like uh, microaggressions that you might see in the workplace, that unfortunately those are somewhat common these days, people that might have stereotyping behavior that you have to address. Uh, discussing not just an incident that happens, but a pattern of behavior. So the employee that's constantly coming in late or constantly turning in things that are late. Uh, You might have to have conversations with people because they are feeling disconnected or disrespected. And frankly, it's not just about a supervisor to an employee. It could be you as a supervisor feeling disrespected by your own boss or feeling disconnected in some fashion. Other difficult conversations include things like um, asking for assistance, you know, admitting that you failed on something or even apologizing to someone. You know, we all make mistakes, every single one of us. And when you make a mistake, you need to address it. You might need to ask for help. And you certainly need to apologize if you've done something that is either offensive or going to create problems with with you and, and your peers or your boss or even your subordinate. Well, I guess just getting up the courage to have this is enough, but I suspect that the average employee, when you say, you know, hey, I need to talk to you about your bad attitude, they'd say, you know, you're right. I have the worst attitude of anybody on the team. I'm probably the laziest employee, and I'm so glad that you discovered that, and I I wish you had done this earlier. I mean, we probably wouldn't hear that response, would we, Deb? Probably not, but but believe it or not, I think people would find it surprising that when you address something, you, you let's say you confront an employee and say, you know, your attitude, Deb, these last couple of weeks has been really bad. What's going on with you? Because it's really affecting the team. You might be surprised to say, you know, gosh, I'm sorry that this has happened, but um, 
you definitely might get the person who's defensive, but sometimes you're also going to get the person who said, you know, I've really been struggling these last couple of weeks. Thank you for noticing that there is a problem. So, so while you're right, people might get defensive. That is oftentimes a response. It's not always the response. And I think that we avoid because we assume that that will be the response, but you'd be, I think, pleasantly surprised when you find somebody who actually agrees. And, you know, I've done performance reviews before where I've had employees say, yeah, you're right. I, I haven't really taken the initiative. Um, I, I appreciate your help, but you know, I'm finding it difficult because X, Y, or Z. Go in with the attitude that you that there's something you can learn as opposed to this person's just screwing up. What can you learn about what's going on with that individual? And then make it a good conversation. I guess if you had enough of those, you would probably build your own confidence to be able to have those. But what happens when I get the one that's going to deny or be negative? Now, how is that going to impact the way that managers have these conversations? Uh, you know, again, that's really difficult. So the one thing that I would suggest is, the first of all, um, you know, don't take it personal. If somebody gets defensive or angry or shouts, you've got to keep a level head as a supervisor. You've got to be the one who says, you know, listen, I'd like the situation to be improved. I'd like it to be better. Let's talk about this in a way that's constructive for us. So, uh, you know, negativity is often a loss in, in confidence, a, a loss of control, or even a loss of community. So if somebody's being negative, try to figure out what's happening with them. You know, why is it that they feel like they're out of control of the situation? Why do they maybe have this loss of confidence? And what have they lost to create this negativity in them? And, and part of the reason why it's important is because negativity has a real impact on productivity, on uh, behavioral problems, not just with the individual, but with the people around him or her. You know, negativity can, it can stifle creativity. It can lower morale of, again, not just the individual, but other people as well. So what you want to be um, careful to do is not just confront the situation, but seek to understand, seek to find out what's happening to create this negativity in the individual. But as a supervisor, you also have to be very clear and state your expectations. State your expectations of this can't continue, so we need to have this conversation so that we can figure out how to make a better path forward. Yeah, it seems to me that's going to be the toughest piece. There's another place, I think, where a supervisor might need to have difficult conversations, and maybe this is a little less scary, but how does a supervisor handle it when he's got a couple or she's got a couple of employees that are having their own conflict? Now, what is that difficult conversation look like? Because you can't let that go on, I would guess, right? No, absolutely. Uh, You know, you can, as a supervisor, you can sense these things sometimes. You can walk down the hall and you can see that there are people who um, are not uh, smiling, they're not interacting, or they're gossiping. Uh, you You can see that and you can sense that. And if there is a conflict between two other employees, you have to address that. It's as much as it's a conflict between you and the employee, because as a manager or a supervisor, you're responsible, you're responsible for what happens in that office and noticing that there's conflict and again, addressing it. So how do you address that? Well, it depends on the circumstance, but you want to find out, again, seek to understand, try to find out uh, both points of view. And then, you know, you might be tempted to say, okay, uh, you know, Uh, Deb and Matt, go ahead. You work on it yourself. You figure it out. You guys are having a problem. You work it out. And that may work. But as a supervisor, I'd want to know, well, what's the origin? Where is it coming from? 
uh, it's not that you're trying to find out who's right or who's wrong, because again, perception and interpretation of situations is important. And it may well be that you need to understand and get people to see, okay, Deb, you missed this point. And okay, over here, you know, another individual uh, or individuals, you missed this point. So understand and provide facts and information. And now it's a time to have the conversation. Maybe you talk to folks individually, maybe you bring them together um, as a group, and then maybe you suggest that they have time together to talk through what those issues are. Is there a step-by-step you would recommend? My fear, at least for myself, would be that I'd get caught up in the emotion and I would have all my steps written out and then I'd get dragged into it. But is there a nice process that a person can follow? Are there steps that maybe you would suggest when they have to deal with something like this? Uh, I think there are. Uh, And and I think that the first thing you need to do is, uh, you know, first of all, treat it as normal. Treat this as any time there's a conflict or there's a disagreement or there's something difficult that's happening. It's a normal part of practice. So that's the first thing you have to do is get your mindset uh, correct. Second, I think you need to establish expectations. So establish expectations, not only for uh, the folks that you're working with that are having the issue, but expectations for yourself about how you're going to do something. When you've got a conflictual situation, create a reporting system. And what I mean by that is be specific about how you're going to interact with employees. And you can create these expectations and a reporting system well in advance. And by this, I mean, when you have a new employee start or when you have employee meetings, say, listen, if there's conflict, here's what we're going to do. I want you to come to talk to me first. Or you can even say, depending upon the culture of your organization, work it out with each other. It really doesn't matter what those uh, reporting system is, but but create the expectations in the reporting system. Then I think you can also um, counsel your employees. Uh, try to get to, and by counsel, I mean have that conversation to get all the perspectives that you can. Another f- uh, step, this would be the fourth one in the process if you're counting, would be if necessary, use discipline. If you have had a conversation, you've had that difficult conversation and the behavior persists or the conflict between employees persists, then you have to think about using discipline. But I think throughout this, throughout all of these steps, you need to encourage respect. That's that's clearly important to do. Not only encourage respect, but but to be open and honest with each other. So those what are is a good way to set? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's great because otherwise I'm going to just probably start going off emotion. But I'm also thinking, too, about even setting up the conversation. When I was a kid, my brother and I. When my dad would say, we're going to have a family meeting tonight, we were like, oh, shit, because I know that's what it's going to be. Somebody screwed up. There's going to be all these new rules. And we just dreaded that. I mean, is there a better way to start a difficult conversation where a person's not automatically going to go down this step by step in their mind of I know exactly how this is going to go? Uh, my, My manager always uses the Oreo cookie, start off with something nice and I get the bad and then I get the other end of the cookie. Is there a better way to do this so people can actually approach it with an open mind and not automatically draw themselves tight in defense? I think there is. I think you can start off by saying and showing that you're approachable. I'd like to talk to you about X, uh, but first I want your point of view. Mm. You know, I, I need to uh, your understanding on what just happened. Um, do you have a few minutes so that we can talk about it? You know, I'd like to talk about X. I think we have different ideas about how to do something. I want to understand. Uh, I'd like to hear your thinking. 
I have something I want to talk to you about. It's, uh, it's maybe a difficult kind of thing, but um, I want to help us work together better. So let's have that conversation. You can use the I instead of the we. Noticed I started all of those uh, examples with I. Uh, take the responsibility on, on your shoulders. You know, I want to hear your feelings. And then you can certainly discuss your own feelings, but you're at least letting people know that you want to hear their point of view. This seems like it would take a lot of practice. I mean, do you recommend people practice some of these scripts before they go down and have the actual conversation? Uh, 100%. I think practice is incredibly important. You know, if you know you're going to have a difficult conversation, you're on your way to work, whether you're in the office and you're driving to work or it's before a face-to-face video conference, sit down, write out some talking points, think through what you're going to say, write down the outcomes that you want to have, write down some of the phrases, write down your facts, prepare and practice what some of those things are that you're going to, that you're going to say. Uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you can even practice with other people. So it's one thing to do it on your own. You can certainly, you know, practice in the shower. That's a good one people like to do, but I think you can also, um, you know, go through it with a, a friend, a colleague, a spouse and say, you know, I'm about to have this difficult conversation. Can you hear me out and be a sounding board for me? Here's what I was going to say. What would that, how would that feel to you if I were to say something like that? Yeah. But rather than just go into it and hope for the best, that sounds much better. Now, Deb, I have just one more question for you. The dynamic has changed. I mean, when we were introduced to each other, we were already locked down and quarantined. A lot of our customers are in this predicament. And I know that some of the behavior patterns that were problems when everybody was in a physical office have not gone away since we're in a virtual. How, how should we have these conversations now that we're mainly operating from Zoom and phones and things like that? Should we just wait till the pandemic's over and then address it when we get back to the office? Or how could we take care of that now that we really can't even sit and look them eye to eye? Yeah, definitely don't wait. That's that's not the right thing to do. I think whenever possible, because you mentioned all these technologies that we have, use that technology and go face to face. I was on a call uh, last week and, uh, you know, it was sort of the Brady Bunch, you know, the tiled effect. And there were you know <laughs> nine people up there and there were two people that did not have their camera on and did not have their microphone on. And one of the folks who did, he, he claimed he did not have a microphone or a camera in his new computer, which I thought was a little bit surprising. <laughs> it's like saying you don't have a cell phone, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he was typing questions and comments into the chat box. Well, to be honest with you, people were not focused on that. They were focused on each other and looking at, you know, the other nine of us. So I, I think that in this time, you you might have a one-on-one conversation. So go ahead and ask people to put their camera on and talk to them face to face. If that's not possible, certainly you can use a telephone, but then you want to look at things like, well, what's the tone of voice? How's the intonation? And if you can get on a Zoom call, make sure that you're looking that person in the eye. Uh, Don't multitask. I mean, how many times have you uh, been on a webinar and you've multitasked? A lot of people do that, but if you're actually having a conversation with somebody that's important and that is about a difficult issue, then you want to make sure that you are focused completely on that person and on that issue. And the better way to do it is to certainly look people in the eye and to pay attention to the cues. And those cues could be both verbal and nonverbal. And if you're in a remote situation, those nonverbal cues can be people not looking at the camera or um, 
you can hear the sound of ruffling papers or, you know, uh, the ding of texts coming into someone's telephone. Those are the kinds of cues that you can look for and try to minimize, A, the way you approach that, and B, by saying to somebody, hey, listen, this is important. Can you please focus on this conversation? I know you have other work to do, uh, but let's focus on this right now. And actually be direct and ask people for their attention and, and say how important it is and how you want to handle the situation so that you can be more effective going forward. Yeah, I think waiting till the end until we have a vaccine, I can't even imagine where this difficult conversation is going to look like then. So sooner rather than later. Deb, I, was I know say, that... I, may, I, I just one yeah. final point there is... That's why it's so important that you need to keep your cool in all of this. Um, you know, you've got a purpose as a supervisor. So focus on what your purpose is, not just as a supervisor, but in this particular scenario that you're trying to address. Focus on, on what your purpose is. Keep your cool and even acknowledge that there's this emotional energy because we're all worried about this other factor that's out there, pandemic, vaccine, crisis, etc. You know, you've got work to do. And people are worried. They're worried about keeping their job. They're worried about um, the the health of their organization. So you've got to acknowledge all of those things while still being direct and respectful of individuals. Yeah, I guess if you can get it done now, uh, you truly can go down as a great supervisor Mm because nothing is normal. I don't think anything is easy. So I'm glad that you gave us some tips. Most supervisors that I've worked with never get any formal training on most anything to do with being a supervisor. But the one thing I've never found them getting training on is actually how to have these conversations. Deb, do you teach people how to do this? Oh, absolutely. It's it, so, you can do this in you can do this in training, but you can also do this through coaching and mentoring. Yeah, so you do that then, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. So if you're listening to this right now, I want you to pick up a pencil and some paper, and I want you to write down Deb's contact information. Again, in my work working with newly promoted supervisors or those in the role that are struggling, this one is one of the most common problems that we run across. And you have an expert here that you can reach out to and engage with to help you get better at that very, very challenging but super important skill set. So, Deb, how do we get in touch with you? A couple ways. Thank you for asking. First of all, you can go to my website, which is uh, www.debcohen.com, debcohenllc.com, excuse me. Or you can just send me an email, which is debcohenllc at gmail.com. And you can call my office line, which is 703-992-9817. Any one of those three ways, I'm happy to chat with you and would uh, look forward to that. Excellent. So that is spelled D-E-B, and then your last name is C-O-H-E-N. So debcohen at gmail.com is email, and then the uh, domain would be the same, debcohenllc.com, right? Correct. Awesome. Well, Deb, listen, thank you for taking some time today to chat about this. I think a lot of us are kind of hoping that when we go back to work, the difficult conversations won't need to be had. We all start from Square one, but I think we both know that is highly unlikely. So thank you for sharing some tips. And if you're listening, I hope you do reach out to Deb for some help. Deb, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you very much. Enjoyed the conversation. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the important transition to management. This podcast is just one resource we have. If you check out our website at greatbosstools.com, 
You can view some other resources we have there. We'd love to have you as part of our courses. If you're listening to this podcast on any podcast app, we'd also appreciate you taking a few moments to give us a review. Positive, of course, it really helps us out. So with that, take care and get out there and make it your goal to be the absolute best boss ever. Mm-hmm.